Well, hello there. I'm so happy to be back in your ears with season five with episode number 80. So what's happening over here in BBB headquarters? Well, you know, just collecting the guests for you for the upcoming season to feast your ears upon. And I've also been working on my newsletter again, just reinstating it. I used to send it out a while back and lost the love for it. So now it is back and I'm sending it out every Sunday. So just a quick sort of list of things that I'm into at the time. Uh, If you fancy subscribing to that, head on over to karmaclintock.co.uk and the sign up section is right there on the first page. Also, I've decided to keep this season sponsor free, but if you want to support the show, you can head on over to Patreon and have a look and see what you can do for the show there. And you can go to karmaclintock.co.uk forward slash support to do that. Now, on with the show. I'm excited to release this one. You know Trina Ashton, she's been on the show before. Uh, We went out and did a live version of the show back in November. It was so much fun doing it with an audience right in front of us. We answered questions and dropped a few knowledge bombs along the way. Now, the audio from us is really, really great, but the questions from the audience aren't as clear, but you should be able to pick everything up okay. So thanks so much for listening. And thanks to Trina and Glenn, our sound guy, for letting us put it all together. It was so much fun. Let's launch in. Well, hello. <laughs> Hi, everybody. We're all friends here today. Welcome to the live recording of the Building a Better Body podcast. This is my podcast. Who has heard of it? Hey! <laughs> Excellent. Because what I'm going to do once this is recorded, I'm going to upload it and it will be uh, episode number 80, I believe, in my breakdown of episodes which is hard to believe I've done 80 but no thank you guys very much for taking the time and coming out today I know it's a bit cold today but it's nice and warm in here and I'm super excited to bring some knowledge and so is Trina I'm sure as well to the table (laughs) brilliant okay shall we get started yeah shall we get started okay all good oh by the way this is Glenn my lovely sound guy this would not happen today (laughs) without him so it's awesome Thank you, Glenn. I'll thank you again later as well. Okay, so let's start. Trina, what does health mean to you? Uh, okay, so it's something I actually wrote a blog on recently about health because for me, health isn't just about food. It's not just about exercising really hard. It's about the whole picture. So um, the World Health Organization actually says that it's to do with having mental, physical, and emotional balance without any illness or disease. But it's kind of a little more than that. And for me, I have a little tree as my logo for Trina Tricious. And I have five branches on that tree. Um, I have love, which incorporates self-love. Because when we have self-love, we will look after ourselves. So we'll do everything well. Uh, Nourish, again, comes nearly under the same thing. We'll nourish ourselves well with food, with thoughts, with people. Uh, movement so daily movement some form of movement to either get your heart going or just move your physical body living your passion if we really realize who we are and what we're doing here then we'll be very excited about what we're going to do in our life and connection with others like community Um, now Deepak I was listening to this week said that how a a good assessor of our health is um, how much energy we would have in the day. So on a scale of one to 10, um, think to yourself, do I have enough energy to do all the things I need to do? And if it's between eight and 10, then you're thriving. 
If it's between five and seven, you're surviving. If it's four and below, you're suffering. So that kind of gives you an indication of where you are and how you might want to get to eight to 10. So that's kind of what I like to do in helping people to bring them up to eight, nine, and 10. So those are my, that's my concept of health, that kind of the holistic version. So Karen, what's yours? But I would say there would be four pillars to health. Sorry about that. <laughs> we have nutrition, movement, sleep, and stress management. So I think if you can dial all of those in, in whatever way suits and serves you, then you're on a good path. So I mean, nutrition is huge. We can't talk about all of that today. But I think the majority of us will realize that if you cut out the junk, you will feel better. The rest is tweaking constantly. I've spent maybe five, six years getting to where I am right now and everybody's on a journey. I would not expect you to do exactly as I do right now because you would probably think it's too extreme. <laughs> but it is, it's it's about taking responsibility and seeing, do I feel good today? What I ate yesterday has actually made me feel this way. If I don't feel good, what have I done? What can I change? It's being about being mindful of you know what you're putting in your mouth and how it makes you feel and it's about it's not about deprivation either I think lots of people think oh I put on a bit of weight here I, I'm going to restrict what I eat I'm going to count my calories and I'm going to exercise twice as much tomorrow but all that's doing is putting stress on the body which is what we're going to bring up later Trina and I will talk about stress a bit later so that's just touching upon nutrition it's just a small point um, then I say movement not exercise because when you think of exercise don't you think that's a bit grim it's a bit sort of hard work I don't really fancy that you know it's not a nice word whereas movement I think you know a lot of people especially of the younger generation they think you gotta go to the gym and you gotta go hard or go home three times a week push yourself for like two hours and Instagram it and put it on <laughs> the internet and show everybody what you've done but and then what these people do is through no fault of their own, probably go home and sit down on the sofa for all the rest of the day or the evening because they think they've worked hard. But I think if you build in more movement, more flexibility throughout the day, move, get up off the sofa, just walk around. When you're sp spending your day moving more as opposed to killing yourself in the gym, you're going to feel the difference. But if you feel like pushing yourself, you know your body will tell you if you're ready for that extra little walk a bit faster or sprint a bit more, depending on your age and what your abilities are. you got to listen again to your body and how you feel. Now, the third one I want to talk about is sleep. This is so important, and I don't think people realise how important sleep is. Sure, you realise if you haven't slept, you feel horrific, and the day kind of gets away from you if you haven't slept. But um, uh, And I have somebody close to me, and she was asking me, I'm 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 holding on to a lot of weight around my belly, but I'm doing everything right. I'm uh, I'm eating well. I'm exercising, and through no fault of her own, she thought she needed to restrict, like I was saying, more and to work out more, and that's that was making it worse. And I, so I thought, let me ask, are you sleeping? She said, Do you know I haven't slept well in years? Okay, so I don't know if you guys realize that if you don't sleep, it raises your stress hormone called cortisol. Trina's going to touch upon this as well because it comes up, up a lot. Now, cortisol isn't inherently bad. You need it to get you out of bed in the morning, a boost of energy. But if it's chronically high, um, what sleep lack of sleep does is build up chronically high levels of cortisol, and that shows up as belly fat. Okay, So if you think, 
it's because I'm eating this, I'm eating that, I'm not working out enough. It could well just be because you're not sleeping and you're stressed, okay? So if you go out and exercise on top of that, you're going to make it worse, okay? So that I, I don't want to go too much more into it, but sleep, sleep hygiene, you know, you want to have a dark room, you want it to be cool so you can fall asleep. You want to have, if you can, blackout curtains. You know, you just want no light, no technology. Who has their phone by their bed? <laughs> Who puts it on airplane mode if it's by your bed? Uh, no. I try, most of the time my phone is out of the bedroom, but if it is beside me, I try to put it in airplane mode. I know some people think, well, what if there's an emergency? But I don't know, I just think if there's an emergency, they'll get you. <laughs> it's a good practice to just say, not even have it in the room, maybe an hour before you go to bed, I'm done with technology. Because that blue light that comes off of all of this stuff <laughs> interrupts your sleep cycle. You could, there's a great book if you want to check it out called Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson. He goes into tons of detail about sleep, so sleep is a priority. And then finally, I'll have to stop talking soon, stress management. Who has been stressed in their life? <laughs> Who thinks they can deal with it quite well? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Katrina's going to do a little exercise shortly, but... Um, I personally have built meditation into my day every single day. 10 minutes in the morning and sometimes I'll do a little bit more in the evening. And this, you might find meditation totally foreign and I understand that because I was there once myself. But it takes a little patience and not in the actual practice itself. What I mean is patience to see when the benefits show up because I've been doing it and O'Donnell's here has been doing it for years and it shows up in how you deal with situations. You are much, I, I am anyway, <laughs> more calm when something that normally would have drove you crazy comes up. Traffic, people cutting up in front of you. You just sort of go, no, I'm not going to let that bother me because you've taken that time to just deal with it. Um, and I, I heard once there's a guy called Dave Asprey. Um, you can check him out, he's very cool. If somebody cuts out in front of you in traffic, you can tell yourself, what if they're going to the hospital? You know, what if somebody's sick? What if they're in a rush? Tell yourself a story that serves you better and just let it go. Um, it's all about just choosing a new story to make you feel better. So those are my four pillars, nutrition, movement, sleep, and stress management. And as I say, we'll probably touch deeper into each of those again shortly. So, yeah. I think that what's interesting is how they complement each other so well. You know, Karen and I are talking about different things. Essentially, we've got different ideas on health because we've been on different journeys, but they're ultimately the same thing. And you're going to see as we talk kind of how they clearly overlap, which, you know, they do anyway. So health is very individual and it's not just eating broccoli and going to the gym every day. That's not health. Health is the whole encompassing everything that's important to you in your life and, and things are different to everybody. But um, And that's why we're talking about almost different things even though they're the same. So um, hence we have branches and pillars. <laughs> okay, so Trina's now going to talk to us about fight or flight. Who has yeah. heard of that? Okay. Well, you just heard of that because these are of me. experts <laughs> <laughs> or me. <laughs> yeah. So, well, these are all experts already. But I want to talk to you about it because, do you know, I didn't understand my body until I understood this. And so, obviously, Karen and I are both health coaches. I am a practicing health coach that I have clients regularly, and I find this is the most important thing for them to realize about themselves and their body is how we deal with stress. So primarily, you know, we are 
originate from the original man and woman. Um, so we lived in the wild and we had to know what was safe, what wasn't safe, and how to react to danger and how to preserve our life. So we have this very primal instinct in how to keep ourselves alive. So if we're in the jungle and a tiger jumps out and wants to kill us, the body will immediately go to work in self-preservation because it wants to survive. And what happens then is we go into this fight or flight response, the parasympathetic nervous system response. So it's, it comes from the autonomic nervous system, which is automatic. So we don't have to think about this. We don't have to do anything. It will happen automatically. But what happens automatically in that death is coming situation is all of our energy, all of our blood is directed to our muscles and to our brain because then we can think, do I need to fight this thing or do I need to run? And then we need the muscles to work optimally so that we can fight or run. That's all that needs to work in the body, nothing else does. So we don't need to digest breakfast, we don't need our nails to grow and our hair to be shiny. Our reproductive organs do not need to work in those moments because if we don't get out of the situation we'll die and it'll be futile. So all of the energy is redirected away. We breathe shallow in our chest, very short and shallow, because this is what we do if we are exerted. Um, and adrenaline is pumping through the body to give us that extra force. So that's great. So let's say we run from the tiger and we escape it and we maybe have a wee sleep. The body doesn't want you to fall asleep deeply and restoratively because the tiger might come back at any second. So the adrenaline is still pumping through the body in order that even the tiniest noise you're gonna wake and be able to fight or run. So that's great. Let's say then we, the tiger comes back, we kill it and we are hungry, so we're gonna eat it and we relax and we chill out, the danger's gone. Then the body will just return to normal, the rest and digest, the parasympathetic nervous system response kicks in. And so we're relaxed, the body starts to return to normal, all the hormones calm down, adrenaline disappears again, and we're, the digestive system kicks in and everything's great. So that's lovely. And that's the state that we should be in most of the time. Our belly is moving up and down as we breathe, just as any baby that you'll see these days does, but any adult you see is breathing from the chest. The thing about our current society is that we live in the stress all the time. So our perception is that we are about to die at any time because we we do legitimately feel stress and we have things that are stressful happening in life but our body doesn't know the brain doesn't know the difference between the tiger in front of us and that thing that happened at work yesterday and so we live in the constant perception of stress and so we're constantly got the adrenaline going so we're never really going to sleep very well we've constantly got all of the organs not working so we're and we're shallow breathing and nothing is working we're burning sugar for fuel instead of fat so we cannot release our fat so we're just kind of piling on the weight and we're just like need sugar all the time so this is the fight or flight response and all we have to do to change that is A, to become aware of these stresses in our lives, but there's a very simple exercise and it's the belly breath. And as soon as we start to breathe directly into the tummy and start to move the tummy and the diaphragm, we start to autom automatically induce the parasympathetic nervous system response, the rest and digest response. So we relax the body, we relax the hormones and all the organs start working again. So at this point, I would love to invite you to do a little exercise with me if you're open and it's gonna take about a minute and it's just gonna show you how quickly and easily we can or revert back to 
that rest and digest response. So would everyone like to join in? Yeah, lovely. Okay. So we're going to get comfortable in our seat and put our feet flat on the floor if we can. And put your hands in your tummy if you want. And then close your eyes and relax. And I'm just going to talk you through it. And I'm doing it too, so. Okay. So I just want you to imagine that you're seated within a cloud of coloured light. This cloud can be any colour you choose. It surrounds you, upholds you, and you're weightless within it. And all of the tiny sparkling little droplets of water are sparkling like diamonds. We're going to breathe this light deep into your tummy through the nose. So on your next inhalation, take a big deep breath in through the nose. Suck it right down into your tummy and see your tummy filling with colored sparkling light. And then as you slowly exhale, slower than the inhalation, see that light filter out through your body, filling your body with light. Take another big inhale through the nose. Fill that tummy with light. See it circling as it fills. And then slowly exhaling, allow the light to filter through the body, up to the top of the head, down to the toes, and out to the fingertips. Take another big deep breath in through the nose. Suck it right into the tummy, filling the tummy with colored sparkling light. And this time as you slowly exhale, allow the light to filter all the way out through the body, through the pores, and back into the cloud. And one more big deep breath in through the nose. Fill your tummy as much as you can and exhale slowly, allowing the light to filter out through the pores slowly as long as you can make this exhalation until it filters out into the cloud and then you can open your eyes. And I'm going to make an assumption here that during that time where you were visualizing, if you were really focused, able to focus and visualize, that you didn't have any thought. There was not, what am I going to do next, and what's happening, and that thing that happened yesterday, that we were free from thought for that perhaps minute. It, it wasn't a very long time. Because we were directing our attention within, and we were also helping to enact that rest and digest, the parasympathetic nervous system response. So the body calmed immediately, and the mind stopped the thought. And it took a minute. And I think that everyone in this room has time in their day to be able to do that for themselves. You can do that when you're at the traffic lights. Even if someone cuts you up, don't close your eyes, though. Um, <laughs> but um, at any of those times when you feel stressed, that that is a tool that you can pull into your day. I like to start my day that way. I like to finish my day. It takes a minute. We all have the time to do that. And it makes a massive impact. And if I feel a little bit nervous or stressed about anything, I just start to do the belly breathe and really focus on it, making the exhalation last a little bit longer. So hopefully you enjoyed that little exercise. I'm so chilled out, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually quite smart to do that mid-podcast mm -hmm. because it resets our sort of mood and keeps us pretty chilled out. <laughs> Everybody feeling good? Want to go to sleep? <laughs> Very good. Now we, uh, Trina wants to talk a little bit about blood sugar levels. Who's a sugar burner in the room? <laughs> who, do, who even knows what that means? Do you know what that means when I say sugar burner? <laughs> Who, who has breakfast and then needs to have something at 11 o'clock? 11s is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's become normal. But what if we told you that that can be changed and you don't have to eat 
every two hours because it's better for the body, better for the body cleanup. But we'll yeah, we'll talk about more of that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what Karen's talking about being a sugar burner, there there are two types of energy that the body uses. There's sugar and there's fat, basically. We're not being very scientific here, but we're making it really simple and we don't have long to discuss it. Um, so we can either burn sugar, which is a very fast energy, so in the, in the you know, a tiger is gonna eat us, we need that immediate, fast, intense energy. Otherwise, if we're just walking through the desert or the jungle or whatever, we're gonna be burning our fat because it's nice, slow-releasing fuel. Um, and we get fat from food, obviously. We get fat which is much denser in calories, but it's going to give us a lot slower burning fuel. And we want to be able to burn the fat for fuel. That's like the preferential energy rather than the sugar. But what happens is whenever we are burning sugar, um, when we're in that stress response, we're burning sugar all the time. We are chronically um, stressed. We are going to be burning sugar all the time. So we're never going to reach the fat. And the thing then about that is we're going to crave sugar all the time. We need sugar because we honestly think that we might die. And that's, again, the primal instinct of the brain thinks if we don't have this energy, we'll die because it can't get to the fat. Why is this? Okay, so let's say we start the morning with some really sugary cereal, let's say. So we feel really good for a little bit. And then, like Karen says, come mid-morning, we are so tired that we have to get, we have to have coffee and sugar, chocolate, anything. And then, oh, <laughs> I feel good. Okay, lunchtime, and we're back down again. And then we have to have something sweet at lunchtime, and then we're back up again. And then we get to mid-afternoon. Admittedly, don't tell my old employer this, I used to sleep on my desk in the office at like two and three o'clock because I was so exhausted and I didn't understand why. I just thought I'm gonna sleep better tonight and it was a never ending recurring cycle of total exhaustion. So I had to have something sweet and that would get me home and then we were keeping going and this goes and then we have dinner and then we have something sweet at night, then we can't sleep and blah, blah, blah. And the whole thing keeps going. What's happening is our blood sugar levels are rising. And they're rising far too far for it to be a safe level for the body. So again, this primal thing kicks in and the body goes, okay, we've got too much blood sugar. We need to deal with this. Okay, pancreas, release insulin. This is your job. So it releases the insulin. And insulin is a hormone um, we've heard of when it's related to diabetes. Hormone that pushes the sugar, gets rid of it, puts it into our muscles and into our liver for our storage of energy. Um, that's great, and if we go to the gym and we empty those stores, brilliant, then we've got room for the next time we eat. But most of us don't do that, and so then they're full. All the storage cells are full. So the next time we eat that sugar to keep us going, the insulin goes, come on, and the cells go, no, we're not taking it. And there's this whole big fight, and then the pancreas panics, and it produces more insulin. Now, I'm really simplifying this, but ultimately this is what happens. There's so much insulin then gets pushed into the blood. It forces the cells to take the sugar, again simplifying, and then there's an explosion of bad reactions that's really damaging to the cells, but also suddenly there's zero sugar in the blood because it all got pushed into the cells and the brain goes, ah, we're gonna die. We need to have a few teaspoons of sugar all the time. The brain needs the sugar or we're gonna die. Oh my goodness, and that's when you get the, I need sugar, I need it because you literally do need it. And so then you reach for the sugar and the cycle starts again. However, over time then, every time we reach for the sugar, our blood and our insulin are going like this, up and down, up and down, up and down, to the point then where the, the pancreas says, I can't do this anymore, I quit. And it starts to break down. 
in this is diabetes type 2. This is what happens. Now, whenever the pancreas starts to quit like that, it's also reversible. It can be regenerated again. So you just need to stop the sugar and stop this effect. So it is possible. And my uncle sitting at the back of the room here is a living proof of that. Um, so, yeah, he did it. You know, so it, it's, it's entirely possible to change. But it's just to be this. If we have this awareness, then we can do something about it. And generally, we don't have this awareness. So I remember when I learned it, I was like, oh, oh that's all I have to do. Stop getting on the sugar train. Okay, now I can take care of that. I can cut out the sugary foods and start to balance my blood sugar. And then I'm like coasting along in the day instead of spiking and dropping and spiking and dropping. So that is a little shortened, condensed version of how the sugar affects the body and what it's doing inside and why it makes us quite so crazy. And as Karen was talking about, then that affects, again, between the stress and the sugar, that's going to affect the sleep. And then... To touch upon sleep, if you don't sleep, um, if anybody here hasn't slept, do you find yourself craving all the sugary snacks the next day? So that's not your fault. That is your brain in survival mode. So you have two hormones, one called ghrelin and one called leptin. One's your satiety hormone um, and one's your hunger hormone. And they go, by scientific fact, they, they get out of sync when you don't sleep. So your brain is literally going, I need to eat all of this food. And, and your hormones are telling you, I'm not satisfied and keep going and you keep going so literally if you don't sleep it's not your fault so but if you can even train your brain to pick up some nuts instead of the sugar just to get into that slightly different way of burning it, it there is a transition period where it's difficult i mean if all you're eating is high sugar foods and you're told stop eating all of those right now and start eating all the fat you're gonna have something called the keto flu <laughs> potentially or carb flu yeah because your body's like whoa where's all this fuel gone and what's this new stuff but if you gradually start changing you gradually won't be as hungry naturally if you up your fats and down your sugars there won't be the need for snacks because somebody asked me once what's a good snack and there is a transition period where you might want to have a handful of like macadamia nuts an apple and some nut butter or something like that but in interestingly i was listening to a podcast recently with a lady called kate shanahan know if you've heard of her she's written a book called deep nutrition and she says if you're snacking you're doing it wrong and that sounds crazy it's like of course you need to have snacks but if you eat much more fat moderate protein and less carbs you just literally aren't as hungry and that's okay you're giving your body a chance to repair itself when you're not stoking the fire 24 7 i think i've mentioned this before if you imagine a fire in your house and you put paper on it the paper is the sugar goes up if you keep putting it in where if you put a bit of hard wood in that it's going to burn much more slower and more efficiently it's a cleaner fuel in the end so that's kind of sleep and sugar yeah and the thing about as you were talking about sleep and cortisol um, because of that stress and because of the sugar our cortisol um, is that stress hormone that also gets the energy out of our cells in order to use it but when there's so much insulin going on in the body its job is to push it in so it's never going to get out and what we're doing is we're shoving it in and causing damage but we're also gaining fat continually without any way to release it from the cells because there's so much insulin its job is to push it into the cells so it cannot be released so we need the sugar so like we're saying it's this this vicious circle but the cortisol then should be high in the morning to get you up and low at night to get you to sleep and when we're in this cycle it's opposite so it's really high at night so we feel really exhausted but we can't sleep 
And then we wake up in the morning. I used to be almost suicidal. I was, I couldn't get out of bed. It was not, my parents are here. They will tell you that I couldn't get out of bed in the morning, even as a teenager. It was not. And now I'm like, oh, six o'clock. Okay, let's go. You know, it's very different because of the shift in the hormones and because we have both, Karen and I have both worked at changing our diet and making the change. The easiest way is to go cold turkey, is to just start going, I'm going to eat lots of vegetables and fruit and healthy proteins and fats. Um, but that can be hard and you need to have like strong willpower. Otherwise, you just start to crowd in, as we call it. You bring in lots of healthier versions. So if you want something sweet, then maybe you go for carrots and sweet potato, vegetables that are sweet, that are going to satiate, you know, have that sweet effect on the body without just going for sugar and finding more healthy versions. And then the more often you do that, the more you realize that you feel better. And then you don't want the really heavy, sweet stuff and you choose better options for yourself. I think we could take this opportunity to ask for questions if anybody has any. If you do not, that's okay. <laughs> we have a microphone here for you. How would you say you would deal with emotional eating? Because I know you can, you can have that cravings, but mm -hmm. sometimes you'll eat not even be hungry. Yep. So how, how, what's your, your views on that? Um, well, again, uh, emotional eating is we're stressed and we're upset. And so what makes us feel good is eating sugary foods that release opioids in the brain. And so it literally feels good. So we immediately get a reward for when we feel down, when we're like, I feel so miserable. Oh, I feel so good. And so it's going to work instant gratification. So that will make us feel better. The thing about emotional eating is that we don't even realize that it's emotional. So we just, real, we just think blindly we're going to the fridge, but it's actually unconscious. And what's going on is there's actually something, maybe we're lonely, maybe we've had a heartbreak, maybe there's actually, and maybe it's something to do with as a child that we maybe don't feel safe in the world right now as an adult, and maybe as a child we used to eat these crisps or these biscuits and everything was okay. And so we don't realize that on an unconscious level we're resorting back to something that used to make us feel good when we were little, when we were safe, and so we're, we resort to that again. And so it's very, emotional eating is, it affects almost everyone. I am now aware of it myself. I know, oh, I feel really down. Um, I really want chocolate. But if I'm aware of it, then I can go, okay, is that what I need? Or do I need a hug? Or do I need something else? And bringing the awareness to it. That's the way to overcome the emotional eating. But if we don't realize that that's what's going on, then we can't break that cycle. And it's very strong because the brain needs the reward of opioids from the sugar to make us feel good. So it literally does help, but then afterwards we feel worse. This is where I would say um, meditation plays a good part because it teaches you to take that space of a reaction and actually what you do next, if you know, or a thought, sorry, and a reaction. So you know you're grabbing the biscuit before you, your brain even has a chance to go, why am I even having this? Am I actually hungry? Um, but it's all always nearly always down to the fact that there's something else going on. There's a there's something that you're stressed about. There's a, a pattern. It's about working out what's wrong. What's the actual problem? Because it's not that you actually want to just eat. Well, maybe you do just want to eat the biscuit, but if it was, then you wouldn't eat five of them <laughs> in front of the TV mindlessly. You know, is, is your habit after dinner to just sit down, put on the TV and eat the biscuits just because 
you know, it's to ha become a habit. As well. It could be just as simple as a habit. Maybe there is no underlying reason. It's just like you've got into this weird habit. Um, but maybe if it's not in, if those biscuits aren't in the house and you choose to do something else. So whenever you have that awareness, it's coming up. I want to go and eat, go and, go and take a bath, go and go for a walk, phone your friend, create a new habit and, and break whatever it is that you're doing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's working out why do you feel bad and feel the feels, work through that feeling and, and come out the other side if you can. <laughs> Maybe you need external help, I don't know. So. Funny enough, there's two health coaches sitting here, so if you do ever need help <laughs> in this regard, do you know where to come? <laughs> Anybody else got any questions? <laughs> well, if you want to get really miserable, they're both poison. <laughs> Um, at, the like, at the end of the day, they are, they're both alcohol and probably don't have too much of either, but I would say wine over the beer because gluten doesn't sit well with me, doesn't sit well with most people, um, whereas wine, there is the, the health benefits, but I'm pretty sure the alcohol <laughs> just cancels it out, but uh, I would go for the wine because of the gluten side of things. Yeah, well, you get resveratrol which um, and red wine, which comes from grapes, which is great for longevity. However, you could just eat grapes or take a resveratrol uh, supplement. Um, alcohol is a difficult one because it depends on how you drink and why you drink. So I used to drink, as some of you will know, quite a lot. And that was because I was trying to block stuff out and I was trying to distract myself from listening to what was going on for me and what was going on in my life and what actually was important. So I was using alcohol, like the emotional eating, I was using it to distract myself from what really needed to happen. And anyone that knows me knows that my life has drastically changed since stopping alcohol quite a lot of it and I've had ma a massive life changes in the last eight years hence I'm a health coach now because I know the change that happened to me and how it can help others so I now do still have alcohol but it's really got to be worth it for me and it just depends and I pay attention to my body so sometimes particular white wines will make my stomach bloat out till I honestly look like I am nine months pregnant and Fletcher says am I getting a new brother or sister mummy and that's not it's not an exaggeration but that's how it will affect my body and so it might be worth it tonight because I've nowhere to go tomorrow but it might not be worth it another night because I might be having to put on my clothes to teach yoga and so I want to look slim do you know it just depends on what works for you and listening to your body and if you want to drink alcohol how to do that in a way that's mindful so you're going so you're drinking it from choice rather than from distraction you know any more questions uh, I'd be interested to hear your views on uh, vegetarianism veganism oh. and fasting Yes. Oh, well, we love all I'll of this. We'll go for fasting. We'll go for Okay, I'll go for vegetarianism yeah. and veganism. <laughs> I'm a big fan of fasting, but you'll find that it comes naturally to you if you do up your fats and down your carbohydrates. Because if you are a bit of a sugar burner, it's literally impossible to fast. You just you couldn't do it. You would be shaking. You would be reaching for something <laughs> sugary. But naturally, when you have that higher fat diet, you can experiment with going till 
least 12 o'clock anyway before you have your first meal. And I think most people who have had two meals by that point think that's, how could I ever do that? But you will not be hungry. It's just a natural thing. And if you are able to fast, what your body does is goes into a state of autophagy or auto autophagy, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah, autophagy. A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y. Yeah. Um, which basically is cell cleanup. Okay, so you're giving your body a chance to go ahead and do do a bit of hoovering, do a bit of putting away, uh, getting rid of old cells, tidying up, because so you're not stoking the fire, you're not giving it more uh, fuel, you're giving it a chance to repair. So that fasting is huge right now if you spend any time in the health and fitness world. Um, and I feel great when I do it, but if you don't feel great, then you need to go back and work on what it is. How many days I've only done it. The longest I've ever done is 24 hours, yeah. and I was ready. I, I can't. I've done a few 24s just because it's. I've just allowed my body to see how long it could go, and but after about the 18 hour point, I start to get a bit of a sore head and start to get a bit cranky and a bit weak, and I'm uh, so it's not worth it for me. So I've experimented with what feels good for me. But the most important thing about fasting, I think, is to do it when it feels good for you, not to do it because you have to. If you're forcing yourself to fast, then you're putting yourself under stress. So your body's going to be stressed and this is going to feel like deprivation and it's going to be extremely hard and it's a very different thing than if you feel, okay, I'll maybe have a really great dinner and finish by six or half six, let's say, in the evening and I don't need to eat anything tonight and then I'll go to bed and then I'll get up and I'll just see how I get on in the morning. I like to have it a very flexible thing rather than an enforced thing because you don't want to be at giving additional stress because when we fast for a prolonged period of time, the body can panic and go, <gasps> there's no food, there's no food, we're going to die and it'll start to store fat in the event of a famine. So it depends on how you're coming to it. But as for the vegetarianism and veganism, yes, I am actually now eating vegetarian or vegan during the week and then I'll have fish at the weekends and sometimes I'll have meat. And what this, that is... Health-wise, I notice a lot of weight dropping off, actually, which is nice. Um, not that I have a lot to lose, but um, I am very ethically minded and morally minded when it comes to meat as well. And so for me, it's important to source your meat or your fish really well for it to come from somewhere that's sustainable, that's organic, where there's not chemicals used and where the animals have a decent life, for example. So then I don't want to contribute to any kind of mass farming and any kind of um, unhappy lives for animals so that's why that's why we would both we would be very conscious on where we would source our protein and so that's another reason to do vegetarianism and veganism is to reduce our consumption of animal products because it's having such a detrimental effect globally and um, rainforest you know deforestation but just to grow cheap meat uh, is horrific and that's so it's killing the planet literally so that's a one good reason why we should change to um, more vegetarian and vegan meals but also it's really good for your digestive system to be able to it doesn't have as much hard job you know breaking down red meat is hard work and for us zero negative blood type people or zero um, blood type we can do that a wee bit more effectively than the a's and the b's so if you know your blood type that could be of interest to you um but also then getting lots of vegetables and leafy greens in is super important to remove toxins. So they kind of cling on to any toxins and help remove them. So the more vegetables that we're getting into our body, whether that be vegetarian, vegan or not, it's going to be really benefit your body in general anyway. But yes, I do really 
I love having vegetarian and vegan meals, but make sure that you do still have a good protein source. So I like nuts and seeds or even sometimes dairy, as long as it's been well sourced. So, um, but you do need the protein. And that's kind of where a lot of vegetarians and vegans kind of fall short because they forget to add the protein in. And if you're always vegetarian or vegan, then you would need to supplement with B12 as well because you don't get that naturally then. Otherwise you'll feel weak and tired. Again, this comes down to um, genetic makeup as well. Everybody is different, and I don't think people like to hear that. It's like, well, give me something to eat. What should I eat? Well, you need to listen to your body and see how everybody else in your family does with certain foods. Um, I do quite well with meat. I do eat it quite regularly, but it does come from the market, a good source, as far as I can tell. <laughs> I feel good on it. I th there's people that will eat. It's come becoming quite popular now, which may be scary, the carnivore diet, um, because they have such digestive upset and they can't break down vegetable matter and they feel really good. I don't think they would sustain it for a long period of time, but until they get their digestion working, they'll literally just eat meat and eggs. And, and that probably in this day and age sounds really unhealthy to you, but it's really helping some people out there uh, as long as the meat's coming from a good place. That's how we evolved. We evolved by eating fish way back in Paleolithic times. That's how our brains are, what they are today. I think today. we're all like to be carnivores. I do, yeah. Well, omnivores, yeah, I do. Uh, I don't, th I mean, I supplement with the odd thing, like uh, vitamin D, because we live in Northern Ireland. <laughs> magnesium sometimes, just to help me sleep at night if I've been particularly stressed, because magnesium's your go-to stress mineral. So if you've had a particularly crazy day and you can't sleep, it could be a magnesium deficiency. And I also do supplement with omega-3 krill oil as well because I do eat fish but probably don't have enough. And that's really powerful anti-inflammatory, great for women in the room. If you're listening, <laughs> right there too. Um, so yeah, I, th I think our brains are what they are because of, especially because of wild fish. Um, and you can buy, you think fish is expensive, wild fish is expensive. You can get wild salmon in a tin and make fish cakes out of it. So it's really handy for lunches and stuff like that. Do you eat meat yourself? Or? No, I'm not. I'm sure you you put yeah. it but can I ask you why? Is it because you feel ethically? The societies that live longest in the world actually do eat meat. They are predominantly plant-based diets, but they do eat a lot. Uh, they do eat meat at least maybe once a month, but they make it a very big celebration. So they make it like a community event and they use the whole of the animal or whatever it is. Um, and I find I have had some vegetarian and vegan clients who are almost too thin. And whenever they can increase meat or veg or meat or, or fish um, or eggs, sometimes it really benefits their body. And that's what we're talking about. It's about paying attention to your body. And so if it's not for a moral or ethical reason, that perhaps if you could source meat or fish uh, really from a good source, that you could maybe add it into your diet now and again, just to see how you feel. The last time I was vegetarian for a whole week, as in the seven days, by the end of that seven days, I felt quite weak. And so I knew I needed that animal protein from somewhere, be it um, the meat or the fish. I think especially as women, you need, uh, just from my perspective, uh, heme iron in your diet, yeah. as opposed to just iron, because you can get iron from vegetable spinach, yeah, is mm -hmm. the main yeah. source. Um, Whereas heme iron comes from animal products, and just as women, I think they do better with that in their diet. That's just well, it's me. It's maybe it's my blood type. But like what Karen and I are both saying, we play about still with our diet, and that's what we're trying to express here is that it's about you 
as the individual and one man's food is another's poison. So it's about just playing with what might work for you and experimenting, but paying attention to your body. Yeah, very often you'll think, oh, this looks great. This is a diet here that's really popular. I'm going to follow that. And, you're, and you almost ignore that you don't feel great. It's like, no, but this is supposed to be great. This is what everybody's doing. But I don't feel good. Yeah, okay, what can I add in? Oh, this is working for me. It is keep a diary, be, be personal about it and work out what makes me feel good. And when people go vegetarian, vegan, they will initially feel better because they have to cut out a load of crap. Pardon the pun. Yeah, so you will for a while, but I find maybe 10 years down the line, you might feel like you need a bit of a, more of a supplement or something like that there. So yeah, it's all about experimenting, playing, having fun. Um, so will we have any more questions? Just rewind a bit from what we were talking about earlier, Carolyn, about sleep. Yes. Right, I'm a back pain sufferer, and I would be waking with back pain a couple of times a night. Sure. Generally, I get up for about 15 minutes, maybe a little bit of Is it the pain that's waking you up then? Is the, p the pain that's actually work waking you up? Yeah. Roughly. Between two and four, right. What do you eat before you go to bed? Yeah. Very little. Very little. Okay. Biscuit? Along with a biscuit, so it, could, it <laughs> could be if it's not the actual physical pain waking you up, it could be your blood sugar waking you up. So if you have a biscuit before you go to bed, then that's you know. But um, th is the pain is it permanent, or could you do stuff to help it? Do you think is it is it, is your pain a permanent oh, thing, that, or is something that you could? Is it the pain that's waking you up? Then was is it from the pain or? that's actually waking you up? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I would first thing I would do is keep a pretty anti-inflammatory diet. So what do you eat before you go yeah. to bed? Yeah. Okay, so that as well. And potentially the magnesium supplement then before you go to bed? You have tried that? Yeah. But if you're awake in between two and four, in Chinese traditional medicine, that would indicate that that's your liver waking you up. Um, and it's not detoxifying properly. So I know what your diet's like anyway, because this is my dad, folks. Um, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But and, it, and it's and it is pretty good. But there, but like Karen's saying, there were there would be measures that you could take to reduce inflammatory foods. Um, and uh, you will know. Last year when I broke my foot. Um, when I got the boot off, um, my foot was quite swollen and sore and the physio was like, yeah, yeah, that's standard. And I says, no, it's because I had pizza and wine last week because it was my birthday. Wait till you see me next week. And he's like rolling his eyes. The next week I come in and I'd be skinny ankle and there was no pain. And he's going, no, that's seriously amazing. What did you do? And I says, nothing. And I'm not taking any medication. It's just lots of turmeric, um, you know, and an anti-inflammatory diet. And I says, I can show you next week if you want me to swell it up again, you know, but we can play about with this until you believe me. I don't actually think he legitimately believed me. So an anti-inflammatory diet will help to deal with that pain, but I would maybe consider supplementing for your liver, something like milk, milk thistle to try and help cleanse it. But, you know, we can talk about that more in depth with that later. So <laughs> 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 consultation, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've nearly run out, have yeah. we run out? I know, look at that, 10 too, yeah. Um, well, I hope everybody has had their questions answered satisfactorily. <laughs> uh, slide one more in. No, that's okay, cool. 
Well, guys, thank you so much for coming today. I really enjoyed that. That absolutely flew in. I hope you're going away with some Trina and Karen nuggets today. I like to say that a lot on the <laughs> podcast. Um, but you know how to find us on online. If you ever want to ask us any more questions, we're always here to help. We always just want to come from a place of service. This is why this is free. We just yeah. want to talk and share all of the stuff we've built up in our brains over the last well, about six years for me. I don't yeah, know. Some gym, yeah. You can't help be passionate about it, and you know you can help people just by making, I think, a few little changes here and there. So thank you very much for coming, guys. And um, <laughs> thank you to Glenn for making this all happen. I shouted too loud there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> thank you very much, Glenn. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you everybody for coming. We really genuinely appreciate the support. So thank you. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. If you have any specific concerns, please consult with your general practitioner before embarking on anything new.